Tech is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the intersections of technology and ministry. It is part of the podcast network sponsored by Wells, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Our show today is hosted by Martin Spriggs and Sally Draper. Welcome back, everybody, to Wells Tech. This is episode 683, recording a little bit ahead of time. We're recording on June 8th, 2022, to be released next week when you're hopefully hearing this. Joining me as usual in this show about technology and ministry is Sally Draper. Hello, Sally. Hi, Martin. Happy to be recording with you. Happy to be recording early Mm because this is summertime and schedules go kind of haywire in the summer. That's right. We're taking a camping, camping trip next week. So we're looking forward to a little time off and um, amidst all the moving and boxes and, you know, all that stuff, we're looking forward to just some decompression time. So it's supposed to be in the nineties there in Ohio. Um, So we're looking forward to that too. Pack your shorts and swimsuit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You got summer plans. Yeah, well, by this time next week, when this is coming out, I'm going to be pretty head into the education conference. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be all focused on on helping and assisting in all the different activities around education conference 2022. Really looking forward to that. I, yeah. The more I work behind the scenes, more excited I get for the speakers we have planned and all the different events and activities that are going to happen. I think the people attending will not be disappointed. It should be a yeah, great we've time. Been, we've been teasing a number of those presentations and presenters. So Boy, I'm I actually I'm sorry I'm missing that. Those those sound awesome. So mm-hmm. I, you know, blessings on that at the Ingleside Hotel, which has been recently redone uh, last couple of years. So if you've been if you were there for uh, Wells Ed uh, EdTech Lead, we called it. Uh, no. No, it was something different. At Tech Lead was at the Kalahari. We did a oh, Wells that's Tech right. conference. At, we did a Wells Tech at conference at Country there. Springs that's in right. 2015. Totally different. Yes, no, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so. this doesn't look anything like the Kalahari. It does have a water park, but yeah, very good. So have fun with that. Mm-hmm. Well, we are in the midst of a summer-long series uh, entitled "Enhancing Ministry with Technology." And that's kind of what we talk about each and every time. But this is kind of related to a uh, a course that I'm developing for Martin Luther College with that same title. And this is week two, or um, the second time we've taken a run at uh, a topic on this. And this one is entitled "Data Management." And um, we covered project management last time, which was a little bit higher level look at how to manage projects, tasks, some of the tools around that. Here we get a little bit more focused, a little bit more specific on how do you manage the data? And uh, maybe a good a good place to start, Sally, is how we define data. You know, what is data? And I just jotted down, uh, at least in my mind, what I meant when I mean data management, and that's any digital asset you need to store, retrieve, or use report on, share, connect, analyze, or repurpose. Pretty broad, pretty broad definition, but that's, I think, 
uh, going to come out in our discussion too, that uh, it really could cover a lot of different things. And I'll just put a plug in here for myself that this is like my happy place. I love data. <laughs> data is where it's at, especially right. put me in front of an Excel spreadsheet. And yes. I know there are people out there in church and school offices that are a lot like that as well mm -hmm. and really enjoy working with data. But whether you like it or not, folks, data is a part of the work that sure we do. Um, you know, obviously gospel focused and want to do our outreach and spread the good news, but we have to keep track of stuff. We have to mm -hmm. keep track of maybe photos, um, perhaps a vast collection of emails, events on a calendar, um, just all kinds of information about the members and the prospects um, that we want to serve with our ministry. And so, um, and of course, if you were talking to my dad and we rolled back the clock, maybe 40 years when he was an accountant, all that data was stored in big, thick books, on paper. And um, we are now in the digital age. And so uh, besides big, thick books and paper, we have all this stuff digitally. And that means we need to be concerned about where it lives and how we take care of it. Exactly. Yep. Um, one buzzword that goes around now when we talk about that safety is personally identifiable information uh, and how we treat that. Uh, so it's privacy, there's privacy concerns, and that's a big part of the data that a church or school manages is that information about their members uh, or children uh, or parents or donors, all of that information. Uh, is a lot of different places these days. It's on mailing lists, it's in reports, it's in directories, it's obviously in databases that we manage, uh, et cetera. So we're talking about all those things, a broad swath, and maybe just some of the things that you create on the fly, whether those be meeting notes or minutes, um, documents, drafts of documents, forms even, uh, that is data, not just the data you collect in the forms, but the, the forms themselves. Where do you store those? How do you find those when you need them? How do you distribute those, share those, all those kinds of things. So talked about, Sally, personally identifiable information. The place you normally put that information is in a some kind of church management system or member management system. I think the, the common acronym is CMS, Church Management Systems these days. And we're not going to go through a lengthy list of those. A couple that you know we would throw out there, if you're not familiar with that, if you're just kind of doing it the old-fashioned way, there are some, some pretty nifty tools out there to, to manage your members' data. And one of those is from our friends at Concordia Technology Services, and that is Church 360. And they have a bunch of modules, member 360, um, that really are, if you're familiar with maybe shepherd staff, I think a lot of our churches started there. That was kind of a, a server or individual PC or desktop-based application. Church 360 is, is all web-based, and it comes along with coming along with that is ease of use and obviously the ability to get at it from wherever you are and whatever computer you're on. So Church 360 would be one that I would highly recommend. There are others out there too. The list is pretty long. Breeze CMS, I did a review on quite a while ago, and I was very impressed with, with it if you're looking at doing some comparison shopping. And there's, there's all kinds of others out there. 
And of course, you want to be concerned about the privacy of that data. You're mm-hmm. going to the cloud basically to store it. So all those kind of others, whatever software or company you land with, you want to make sure they have really strong uh, security in place and the, the privacy is is um, ensured and that you manage the users you give access to um, properly. So if someone leaves employment at the church or school, you would, you know, make sure that it's high on your priority list to turn off their access to such data, um, that kind of thing. And Martin, privacy is, um, you know, maybe something we should notch up a level and just make sure everybody understands that there's legal ramifications around that. It's not just that you need this policy and it's good to have, but that there are legal reasons to be very concerned about the privacy of the data. Sure. Yeah. If something were to happen, you are legally liable for the, um, for the safekeeping of that data. Um, And it's, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's overly difficult to secure that. Um, you just need some some good practices. And we have some helpful documents and even previous shows where we've talked about some of the tools and some of the ways to approach and think about privacy and security. Show 667 policy and procedures. Uh, subsequent to that, we created a Wells Information Security Guidelines document that talks about uh, kind of in an FAQ format, what is PII, or personally identifiable information, talks about you know what kinds of things would be included in that, how you are uh, liable or responsible for that, how you should treat it, uh, what you should communicate to uh, those people for whom you are handling data. Um, what kind of policies, procedures you should probably have in place. What about cloud services? Can you put that data on Google Drive or OneDrive or Dropbox, those kinds of things? Encryption, privacy policies, encrypted email, all those things we talk about in, in this document. And we've talked about it on this show previous as well. So just something to keep in mind as you're storing this data. Um and uh, not just so that it is safe, but it is kept in an orderly fashion that you can retrieve it. And if somebody wants their data, which is their right, uh, so they could come to you and say, hey, give me everything that you have on me uh, or about me, you are able to do that. So your system needs to be able to support that. Yeah. And that kind of leads into how do we store data and yeah. how best to to manage it and things. And um, certainly there are tools out there to do that. You can store data locally on your computer as well. And so you maybe need policies within your um your called workers and staff at your church and school that they don't store this kind of information just mm-hmm. locally. They store it in a secure location. Um, internally at Wells, we use SharePoint a lot for that kind of thing. It's a Microsoft product, uh, cloud-based, but we can ensure the security around things stored in SharePoint. And we know things are backed up properly in case there was some um, need to restore the data or whatever. So um, just thinking through how to organize and where to store is just a really important step. Yep. Um, thinking about the way you store it is also important on the front end. We maybe call that data structure or uh, an important concept uh, that 
comes into play when you're thinking about that is metadata. And basically that's the information about the information that allows you to retrieve it, to report on it, to find it, to sort it, uh, those kinds of things. So just throwing it all in a database in, in some kind of random fashion or keeping it in some kind of folder or even semi-organized folder structure may not be sufficient. Um, so you wanna put a little bit of the heavy lifting hard work on the front end, uh, we have to deal with this, you know, and all the man, all the data that we manage at the synod level, or we would be helplessly <laughs> always behind the curve, trying to to find, collect the data, make it some kind, of, in and use it in some kind of meaningful way. So, data is only as good as its ability to be found and and to be repurposed and used. So put some heavy lifting and some energy and some thought, good thinking on the front end with the data structure and tagging. Uh, even though we have great search tools available, and that's kind of the next topic, Sally, is um, you have to have some good tags and metadata to be able to, to surface those in, in search as well. So Martin, if I were in a church office beginning to tackle this, what would be your recommendation? I mean, where would where would I start to address some of those things on the front front end of it? Mm -hmm. I'd almost draw a picture of your data. Um, so the data that you normally capture, whether that's first name, last name, you know, the personally identifiable information is where I would start but then kind of draw pictures about how it relates to one another. Um, and then uh, it's easier to see from that vantage point, what's what should be important and what gets connected to what and, uh, and go from there. Uh, certainly when you're setting up any database, that would be a, a requirement, whether that's an access database or even a member management software solution like Church360, you have decisions to make about how you store that, that data. It helps a lot because they've, done some of that thinking for you, but still you're going to have some decisions about how, how you, uh, how you structure that. Mm -hmm. And then of course, uh, I alluded to it earlier, but um, data is great, but having the right people, having the right access mm -hmm. is probably the, the pivot point there. The thing that really makes it workable for you is that the right people can get access to it, that you can share it and permission it in such a way. I think a good way to permission things is to give people the least amount of access that they right. need, access specifically to what they need. So maybe it's um, you know, some committee leader or part of the church council or whatever, and they might need access to just certain things. They know the people by name. They don't need to know their dates of birth or whatever. They can, they can get what they need without knowing some of those more detailed data elements. Then don't give them that access to the things they don't really need. Yeah. There's a phrase out there in security land that says, trust no one. Um, and that may not sound you know, overly Christian, but that's a good place to start and then justify expanding access to needed information. Then it becomes very easy to track down issues if there happens to be issues. If everybody has a key to the building, uh, then it's very difficult to determine you know, what might have happened if something goes wrong. So, um, so that whole shareability permissioning model is important to, to understand. And a lot of people are confused by it, even as simple as like Google's 
permissioning model sometimes can be a little bit confusing. So it's worth spending a little extra time figuring that stuff out, getting comfortable with it, and then restrict who can actually set up that permissioning to a very small group of people who understand privacy, who understand what the policies are, and um, go from there. Mm-hmm. So I think the last category here I can think of that would be worth talking about is the kind of the unstructured and sometimes structured data management side of things. And that's usually going to be where you find yourself living in Google Drive or OneDrive or kind of build your own kinds of solutions, Excel spreadsheets, a tool that uh, like Excel that does almost all of those things in kind of a very cool fashion. And I haven't spent a lot of time with it, but I know some people kind of live and, and die by Airtable, fairly new product, but it allows, it's kind of a, an Excel or a spreadsheet type of framework, but connectivity and customizability is uh, uh, really part and parcel to, to their to their use cases and um, shareability, all the things that we talked about, searchability, all those are kind of baked into to Airtable. Airtable has a free version and I can't uh, vouch for it in all your use cases, but I think in many cases, it might be a perfect fit for a lot of project management tasks or just even managing any kind of unstructured or structured data. Um, They've done a nice job with the interface. I think it's very user-friendly and uh, in use by a lot of of folks at this point. So you may want to check that out. But there's nothing wrong with kind of living in the Google suite of tools uh, or Microsoft suite of tools. Uh, If you have some kind of organizational approach for restoring your Word docs and your Excel spreadsheets and your presentations and, you know, those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with that either. Lots of data out there, Martin. And as a church and school office, it's probably a really high priority thing for you. You know, get your policies in place, um, give some structured thought to how to get organized and how to be able to get what you need, you Mm -hmm. know, consider worst case scenarios of losing access or whatever, you know, what's your backup plan? Who are your backup people? Or, you know, what if someone leaves, you know, what kind of security do they have? Right. I guess one bit of advice is don't do this on your own, kind of do this in collaboration with, um, with people, other people within your organization. So Mm -hmm. good stuff. All right. Let's move on to our picks of the week. Sally, you're up. I'm up and I have news from Google. Um, (laughs) If you are a Google drive user, this is going to make you really happy. So um, just within the last two weeks or so, maybe just last week, Google announced some major upgrades for how you work with files in Google Drive. And I'll throw a link in the show notes to this Lifehacker article that kind of uh, summarizes all the different updates. Um, I have my own Google Drive up to just do a quick demo. And for those that are Drive users, you're used to having to right-click and maybe if you want to make a copy of the file, use the the right-click context menu to make a copy and paste that copy or, or move that copy with the menu you have to use move to. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive because 
You're used to keyboard shortcuts for control C to copy and control V to paste and things like that. Um, and now Drive supports that kind of thing. And so that you don't have to use the right click context menu to do things like copy paste. You can use your normal keyboard shortcuts for that. Um, you can do a control X to, to cut the item and navigate elsewhere in your drive and paste the item or whatever you want to do. Um, all those nice keyboard shortcuts are here. You can even use a control shift C or uh, obviously on a Mac, it would be the, the command, command key, key. Right. but you can do a control shift C to paste a shortcut to an item. Mm. And so um, instead of having to, you know, copy an item to another folder, you can actually just paste a shortcut to that item. And things just got a lot simpler for people that are used to keyboard commands. Um, the article from Lifehacker even talks about how within a Google Drive, I'm sorry, a Google Doc, you can highlight multiple sections of the document and apply formatting. Um, and you just use your command um, key to, I'm sorry, your control key to highlight multiple sections. And then the formatting will apply to multiple sections. So um, simple little things. And this is a pretty quick and easy article to get you oriented to that. Um, I got a little message in Drive, a one-time message that told me I could do this kind of thing. But you may want to just reference the article to get you know, the full scope of what you can do and what the different keyboard shortcuts are. Although I think you're going to find them really intuitive and easy to pick up on and run with. And just a super great improvement for Google Drive if you're a Drive user. That is awesome. Um, I I guess I never, I was been constantly frustrated by that. And that's one of the reasons I use the Google Drive plugin where I could work with my regular file system to do that cutting and pasting. Now oh, to sure. have it right online uh, mm -hmm. in a web browser is is super awesome. Do you know if it works in all browsers or is it just Chrome? Um, I didn't hear of any limitations. I believe, okay. you know, like I said, Good. I got the message right here in Drive and I think it was, yeah. you know, kind of a universal message, a universal mm -hmm. announcement. Excellent. So. Awesome, mm -hmm. awesome, awesome. Yeah. All right. Good find. Uh, I'm going to stay in the Google verse for my pick, Sally, and it is YouTube Premium. I can't remember if I've talked about this in the past, um, but uh, I just kind of take this for granted. This is not a free service, although they always give a three-month trial if you're interested. And basically what YouTube Premium is, is it allows you to play YouTube um, videos ad-free. Um, so if you're one of those that uh, kind of get annoyed at the ads that pop up uh, seemingly more and more in your YouTube video experience, this is a way around that. There are a couple other features. One of them is you can download uh, YouTube videos to mobile devices for offline playing. So if you're on a plane or let's say maybe downloading stuff for classroom playback, whatever, to an iPad this would be a good solution. It also comes along with YouTube Music Premium. So if you're looking for a music service, uh, YouTube Music is uh, a good one. I've been using it for years now. Cost uh, after the three-month trial is 12 bucks a month, $11.99. Uh, they do have family pricing, which is $17.99 a month. So that's up to five family members 
who can take advantage of this. And there's also student pricing. Um, you just need annual verification that you are a student for seven bucks a month. So that's actually a very good deal for a full music service, ad-free YouTube playback. Um, yeah, for a few other things too, but those are the big ones. Uh, I especially appreciate this uh, because I use, when I do presentations, I'll often play YouTube videos and this allows for that ad-free experience, um, which is a lot more professional. Oh, YouTube Kids is also a part of this ad-free and offline play for YouTube Kids, for those of you that use that. So um, YouTube Premium um, is, uh, for me, well worth uh, the money. We do a family account and uh, so Debbie and I both uh, are able to, to play our YouTube videos without the annoying ads there. So we think it's a pretty decent value. Very good. Shall we move along to community feedback? Actually, what do we call it? We're calling this, uh, we haven't updated our template yet, Sally. It is <laughs> called community news and feedback. And feedback. Fancy. So. This one just happens to be feedback, but uh, sometimes <laughs> we'll throw news in there too. So what do we got this week? Um, this week, we wanted to share a recommendation from teacher Michael Vlieger, who's at Risen Savior in Mankato, Minnesota, and my home congregation, St. Paul's. Um, he recommended uh, ditch that textbook's online courses for summer professional development. And mm -hmm. I think um, if I were connected to Rachel Feld right now, she'd be echoing this recommendation. Mm -hmm. I know she's mentioned ditch that textbook on multiple occasions on the show as being a great resource for education, technology, um, professional development. It's done by a man named Matt Miller, and uh, they have kind of a a really cool selection of courses. You can get access to all the courses for $99. And they say that they include, let's see, video instruction, companion resources, an online community forum, and a certificate of completion. And so um, there's a, a pretty good group of them here. And some of them are for free. There's creating a playful classroom and remote learning 101, as well as how to use Google Classroom 3, which are marked as free courses. Um, and then they have, you know, full descriptions and what they're like. I was really interested in the one called Digital Escape Rooms. And oh, so... It sounds right up your alley. Yeah. How to uh, engage students with the escape room craze and creating your own on classroom uh, content. And so just a quick overview, this course includes video tutorials, PDF guides to help you plan your own escape rooms, lots of example escape rooms that you can copy or use as inspiration, a companion website to help you and your students create your own escape rooms. So that's a cool concept, not only you creating them, but also teaching your students to create their own escape rooms. Um, 25 digital escape rooms with lock combinations and companion resources and a downloadable PDF and tons of resources to support you. And the cost for this course, I believe it was uh, $19. So that's a lot for $20 to be able to add that whole concept of escape rooms to your classroom and maybe even teach your own students how to create digital escape rooms. Um, really great for reinforcing and getting creative with uh, course content. And you could use it really in any type of course, Martin, you could create escape mm -hmm. rooms for math courses, even I bet. So yeah. just um, the possibilities are endless and, and they've taken the time to put this together. 
And again, that's just one of many uh, different. They have virtual field trips, Google Jamboard, uh, Tech to Learn, Smart Start. Um, Google Classroom. Yeah, mm-hmm. Google Classroom. Back to class with Smart Start. So different protocols for beginning your school year. Um, just lots of great ideas here on Ditch That Textbook. So check it out. Let us know if you're taking a course and which one it is and what you've learned. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on the quality and the information shared in the courses. So Excellent. DitchThatTextbook.com. Excellent. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to contribute, uh, please do so. Go to our show notes page is maybe a good place to start. Uh, that is wellstech.wells.net. And uh, across the top, you'll see little icons for all the social places that we kind of hang out. And uh, you can always use good old fashioned email, wellstech at wells.net, or leave a comment on any episode here, and we will see that. And if you are so inclined, leave a voicemail. There's a little blue button on the right, hanging right to the right edge of the, the screen there, just waiting for you to click on and talk to us. So please do that. All right, Sally, that is going to about do it for our abbreviated version of Wells Tech this week. And uh, looking forward to gathering again once back from vacation, where we're going to talk about PKM, personal knowledge management. So can't wait. New acronym, huh? Stay tuned for that. And uh, uh, we are really appreciative of everybody joining us. So please come back again and bring a friend. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye.